What is the state of your marriage if you are married? Where is it going? Are you happy with it? Are there things you'd like to change? As we examine ourselves collectively as a church, as we examine ourselves individually, I'd like to submit we should examine ourselves at home. What's happening at home? You know, marriage is a fundamental building block of society. We're going to be teaching the whole world how to get marriage right in the future. Whether we're married now or not, do we know the basic principles? We're all going to be teaching it. Do we know what makes marriage work? Do we know what short circuits it? Are we personally getting ready to marry our husband, Jesus Christ, as the Feast of Trumpets teaches us? Men, are you getting ready to be a bride? I know that's a little hard to wrap your mind around, but uh, <clears throat> you are when we understand it. We are being prepared as the bride of Christ. You know, marriage is woven so deeply into God's plan for mankind that we have got to understand it. And we have to know how it works and what makes it work, especially when it is under attack. Today, in so many ways, you know, our country has, has now chosen to define marriage in ways that boggle the imagination and would shock our people just a few short years ago. As we examine where we are, I'd like to talk about men's and women's roles and obligations in marriage. We all know that men and women were not created the same. That's pretty clear. Well, at least we do. Some people are getting confused about that in our society. But we know that we're different, don't we? Men and women are different. A lot of books have been written. A lot of talks have been given about the differences. Thank God for those differences. They make life interesting. They make life exciting and rewarding. The Bible talks about some differences in men's and women's duties in marriage, and I'd like to key into something today that we might sometimes read right over and miss if we're not careful. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We commonly go here for instructions on marriage in verse 22 through verse uh, 32. Paul is giving instructions of, for men and women in marriage, and he finally sums it up by saying in verse 33, Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We all read that and all agree to it and say that sounds good, but what does it really mean? And how many times, even in the church, do we focus only on one side of the coin? And that's love. 
that husbands and wives must love one another. And they should, they must. We all must love one another. We must love our neighbors as ourselves. And we husbands need to keep learning and keep striving and keep growing in how to to love our wives. A lot of marriage literature focuses on that, gives good advice. But there's another part to this that Paul says, wives, respect your husbands. And that the best way for wives to show love is to show respect. It's a really interesting truth that opens up as we examine this, the nature of marriage and how to be really successful in marriage. And that is that a woman's greatest need is to be loved, to be cherished, to be appreciated, to be made to feel special more than anyone else on earth by the man she loves. And a man's greatest need is not necessarily to be loved, but to be respected, to be looked up to, to be seen as capable and competent, to be made to feel that he is admired above all others for the particular strengths that he has by the woman he loves. Some research bears this out, as Mr. Wally Smith uh, mentioned last a uh, couple weeks ago, I think, in a sermon. <clears throat> there was one study done. Uh, 400 men were given a choice between going through two negative experiences. If they were forced to choose one of the following, which would they prefer to endure? To be left alone and unloved in the world or to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone? Not very good choices, are they? But 74% of the men said they would prefer being alone and unloved than be disrespected. We've done actually a survey here locally, too, among the singles, and it came about pretty much the same. That by and large, men would, would rather be respected than loved if they had to make a choice. You know, maybe as the Beatles said, all you need is love is not entirely correct. It's partly right. All you need is love and respect. Love and respect. I'd like to talk about that today in the sermon. Love, respect, and marriage. Because there is a powerful perspective that can be overlooked Brethren, even by those who really study the Bible and, and, and seek to understand and live by every word. And that really is a secret to obtaining what, what we're all wanting in marriage. The unity and, and companionship in a relationship and intimacy in marriage. Young people, if you are not yet married... But you are laying the groundwork, the preparation for marriage someday. You need to understand what makes marriage work. If you have, those of you, us who are married, if you have a good marriage, you know, by applying and understanding the scriptures even more, it can be great. 
If you have a troubled marriage, by really applying and thinking through and asking God for direction, it can be good. If you have a marriage that is on the ropes, it can be saved. These are important things. There's a book that brings out a lot of the things we're going to talk about. It's called Love and Respect. It's uh, written by a man named Emerson Egerich. Uh, Wallace Smith uh, referred to it a couple weeks ago again. A well-written book. It's not put out by anyone in the church, so obviously not every last thing we would agree with, but very, very helpful and, and recommended. I'd like to read a little bit of some of the, the, the sort of perspective that he outlines on page 37. He's talking about Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33, and he says this, The more I meditated on these two passages of Scripture, the more I realized that if a husband is commanded to love his wife, then she truly needs his love. In fact, she needs love just as she needs air to breathe. Picture, if you would, the wife having an air hose that goes to a love tank. Now, it's a little silly, but bear with me. The wife having an air hose that goes to a love tank. When her husband bounds in and starts prancing around like a ten-point buck looking for some place to graze, he steps on her air hose. This does not make her a happy camper. In fact, if she can find a baseball bat or some other weapon, she might just whack the big buck and tell him, get off my air hose, I can't breathe. Simply put, when her deepest need is being stepped on, you can expect her to react negatively. In counseling, I tell the husband that when he sees the spirit of his wife deflate, he's stepping on her air hose. She's not getting the air she needs to breathe. She's crying out, I feel unloved by you right now. I can't believe how unloving this feels. I can't believe you're doing this to me. Now, gentlemen, this is how our wives feel when we are doing things that are unloving or unthoughtful. When we don't put them in the proper place in our lives when they don't feel like they are the most important person on earth to us, why wouldn't they react strongly when they feel they're suffocating? When they feel they're being cut off from air emotionally? You know, when you're suffocating, things get pretty serious pretty quick, don't they? What about the men? Society seems to have mislabeled men's tanks. They say in, in most marriage literature that men need to be loved more. But brethren, how many times have you heard men complain about not being told they are loved? There might be some who would express that. But by and large, you know, if a woman tells a man he, she loves him, he's good for a couple or three years on that. Wouldn't you say... That pretty much does it. Why? Because his air tank is mislabeled. It's not love, it's respect. It's not that men don't need love, 
It's they need respect more. Page 38, the author goes on. He says, not only is the husband commanded to love his wife, but the wife is commanded to respect her husband. You see, the husband needs respect just as he needs air to breathe. Same, uh, same illustration. He also has an air hose that runs over to a big tank labeled not love, but respect. And as long as the air is coming through, he's fine. To keep the deer analogy going, suppose the wife, a lovely doe, starts tromping on his air hose with her sharp little hooves. A wife may have good reason to prance all over his air hose, but what's going to happen? As his air hose starts to leak because of all the little cuts her hooves have made in it, the husband's also going to react because his deepest need, respect, is not being met. And the battle is on. Is that the way our relationships are? And you know, if it, if we're not careful, <clears throat> it turns into a crazy, totally unnecessary cycle. We feed off each other. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love, and it goes on and on and on with no beginning and no ending like the Israelis and the Palestinians. No one knows who fired the first shot, but they keep fighting, right? And isn't that true sometimes in marriage when you wind up getting in spats? You don't even know how it happened, how it started. But we just keep going in this cycle. And sometimes the hurt is just that we're misunderstanding the language of the other person. The author gives this illustration to explain this. He says, if husbands and wives are to understand the love and respect connection, they must realize that they communicate in code. And the problem is they don't know how to decipher the messages from each other. There was a couple who was about to celebrate their 10th wedding anniversary, and the wife began to wonder if her husband would remember There had been plenty of times during the past decade when he had forgotten their anniversary altogether. That's a first uh, warning flag right there. No matter what she did, little hints, bigger hints, he'd miss it. But on their 10th wedding anniversary, with, with no hints at all, he remembered. He made a beeline for Hallmark and is soon gazing upon all those racks full of greeting cards. One colorful card quickly caught his eye. He skims the words. They're perfect. He thinks this card is her. No doubt about it. He grabs it off the shelf, pays the clerk, hurries home rejoicing. Finally, he's remembered their anniversary and a special one it will be too. She's there when he arrives at home, so he sneaks the card into her room, into another room, signs it, quickly writes her name on the envelope. He comes out, hands his wife her 10th anniversary card. She beams from ear to ear. She's so happy, finally he has remembered. She tears open the card and begins to read, and then her face falls. The eyes that have been bright with loving energy turn cold. Her beaming countenance becomes sour and dark. Now, because he's a very sensitive guy, he picks up on these little cues. He says, what's wrong? She says, Nothing. He says, there is too. What's wrong? 
She says, no, there's nothing wrong. He says, but there is, I can see it, what is it? She says, well, it's not bad for a birthday card. As you might guess, the conversation is headed downhill from here. You're kidding, says the husband, grabbing the card from her hand. No way, unbelievable. She says, no, you're unbelievable. The husband blinks in the wife of his, in the face of his wife's very real anger. He knows he's full of goodwill. He has remembered their 10th anniversary. He's bought her a present as well as a card. He says, well, honey, I made an honest honest mistake. Give me a break. Give you a break. An honest mistake. Oh, it was an honest mistake, all right, because you just don't care. Do you know what? If you took your car in to be detailed and they put a stripe on the side that was even a fraction of an inch off, you'd notice that because you care about it. You don't care about our anniversary. You don't care about me. The husband can't believe it. He's moving from feeling guilty to getting angry. What he thought would be a loving celebration of their 10th anniversary has become a conflict that is escalating fast. He says, hey, I made an honest mistake. All right, give me a break. She said, you buy me a birthday card on our 10th anniversary and you expect me not to be upset? I'd rather you hadn't bought me any card at all. The husband has been on the defensive and now his pulse rate is up. He's tried to do the loving thing. All his wife can do is say nasty things. He says, you know what? The way you're talking, I'm glad I got you a birthday card for your anniversary. And with that brilliant parting shot, he storms out of the room, slamming the door behind him. Approximately two minutes have passed since he handed her the card. This couple, a husband and wife who truly love each other, have come home expecting to spend a wonderful, romantic evening together. Instead, they end up stomping to opposite ends of the house, staring out the window into the darkness, wondering how it ever came to this and thinking this is crazy. Brethren, how easily can we misinterpret the words and actions of each other. And how easily can we not understand and interpret what's going on? You know, the interesting thing is that these two people were people who genuinely loved each other. They genuinely were well-meaning. They actually liked being around each other. And they had a good heart. They meant well. And it still happened. You know, there might be in some rare times, a time when there actually is a mean-spirited spouse who really is out to hurt the other, but that's very rare, isn't it? In most cases, 99% of the times, both sides really do care. And it can happen to us. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Brethren, what is the state of our marriage if you are married? Are you happy with it? Do you feel like it's going in the right direction? Do you have good cycles in your marriage? 
<clears throat> or do perhaps you have negative cycles that need to be stopped? And we each feed off of the other because she's not showing respect, I don't give love. And because I'm not giving love, she's not showing respect. You know what? Somebody's got to stop the cycle. Somebody's got to be the grown-up. Somebody's got to be converted. Someone's got to stop the cycle. <clears throat> Let's talk about the duties of men for a few minutes. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, you're probably still there. What does it say in verse 25? It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You know that root word comes from the the, the word love comes from the root word agape, which is the kind of love that God expresses. It's unconditional. It's not predicated on the behavior of the wife. He doesn't say, love your wives if they are nice to you. You notice there is no asterisk there. Love your wives as long as they are lovable. He just says, love your wives. Period. No matter what. Now, is God condoning a husband to be um, berated or like a, a whipped puppy or something and, you know, just silently suffer if his wife is actually abusive? And that does happen, you know. There are extreme cases where a wife is actually abusive to the husband. That's not right. But that's very, very rare. <clears throat> By and large, when we apply this to real situations, we need to take it from what it says, that we men need to love our wives, period, no matter how they're treating us at the moment. <clears throat> Let's turn over to Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. What kind of example does Christ set for us? Does he give us unconditional love? We find in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were not yet in tune with him, when we were not in line with him, when we were in a bad attitude, when we were going our own way, he died for us. He gave his life for us. For scarcely, verse 7, Romans 5, verse 7, for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Brethren, what is the standard? Men, what is the standard that Christ is holding us to? It's unconditional love, isn't it? While we, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And even though we now walk in the Spirit, we still sin from time to time. And yet God doesn't stop loving us. We don't condone sin. He doesn't condone sin. But even when we're out of sorts, God doesn't stop loving us. Gentlemen, can we love our wives 
with an unconditional and sacrificial love. Can we take our wives being upset with us from time to time? Can we take it on the chin? Can we take it in the chest? I have a great quote from my wife that I'd like to read to you. She's not here today, so that that helps. Now she knows that I was going to read this. She told me some time back, You're the most wonderful man on the face of the earth, but I still sometimes find you really annoying. (laughs) Gentlemen, can we handle it when our wives tell us the truth? When our wives sometimes are upset when they're out of sorts. You know, we're supposed to be bigger and stronger. We're supposed to be emotionally the leader. How do we respond when our wife is upset? By getting angry too? By shutting down emotionally? You know, some some people are explosive and some people are implosive. Some people react and explode. Some people say, okay, fine. I'm going to walk away and I'm done communicating. But is that showing leadership? Paul tells us to love our wives, period. Yes, they need to be respectful. But maybe we can even teach them how to be respectful, not by yelling at them or by clamming up, but by honestly and calmly and courageously telling them, I'm not feeling respected right now. What you just said hurt my feelings. Have you ever tried that, men? Is there any shame in that? By honestly telling your wife what she just said was not respectful. And then also genuinely apologizing for our part in it. It's a whole lot harder than blowing up or just walking away, isn't it? But it's really loving her. Ephesians 5, again, verse 26, he says, Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Gentlemen, are we doing that? Or do we need to grow in that area a bit? He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh. And of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. <clears throat> so we do it because of the example that Christ sets in being the leader of the church. Let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Again, gentlemen. How are we doing on the unconditional love meter? 
How are we doing? Analyze yourself. Ask yourself. You don't have to ask your wife yet. Right here. You can ask her later. But ask yourself. How are you doing? How are we doing? 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. We need to dwell with them with understanding. We need to make a study out of studying and reading our spouse. We may never totally understand them, and I think that's even the intriguing part of life. You know, there are things that as we go through our our marriage, I, I feel like I understand less about my wife. I used to think I could probably pick out what color she would like in certain situations. Now I'm baffled even more because there are shades and, and, and variations of shades and, and slight changes of variations of shades that I, I, I've given up trying to figure out what, what colors she likes in some cases. But you know, <clears throat> in other ways, I've, I've tried to make it a study to understand her and, and, and it's a wonderful thing. To gain a better and better understanding of our wives, to understand what makes them tick, and what works with guys will not work with our wives, right? You know, men are really good at giving respect to each other. They have an honor code, if you've not noticed. Like giving another fellow space when they're upset about something. Gentlemen, you know, we do that with each other. We give each other space. How does that work with your wife? You ever notice that? When she's upset, does she want space? No, she wants closeness. It's different. We have different needs. Let's talk about some of the, a few key things that can help us men to learn to love our wives the way they want and need to be loved. Everybody's different. Everyone has different variations. But there are some generalities, and again, they're not making these up. There really are needs that our wives have. They didn't just come up with these. They're not trying to persecute us by bringing them up. They're real. One is closeness. Closeness. You know, our wives, gentlemen, are highly sensitive to the closeness or perceived distance between us and them. And our wives may even become confrontational when she senses we're not connected. Now that's an oxymoron to men. Why confront to gain closeness? Confrontation causes friction. And yet, that's exactly why she's confronting. Because she's sensing that we're not together. And she wants to be together. And she's forcing the issue. And that's the way God made her. To be concerned enough when we start to drift apart that she's going to throw up the alarm bells. She's going to throw up the warning flags, right? And sometimes that means an eruption or an issue. But the issue is not the real issue. The real issue, she's not feeling close. 
gentlemen, do we have the wisdom to be able to figure that out? You know, when you have a confrontation with your wife, gentlemen, consider the possibility that if she doesn't feel close to you, she's upset about it and she feels unloved. Resist the temptation to fight back. Resist the temptation to clam up. But engage and find out what's going on. Another need of our wives is openness. Openness. This was brought home to me in a a certain way some years back. Uh, My wife and I were talking one evening in the living room, just a wonderful evening. The work of the day was over, and and we were enjoying uh, a little bit of time just in the living room talking. In a lull in the conversation, I remembered thinking of something I needed to do outside. And um, so I just got up and left. And uh, I got outside and I was checking some of my plants and some of the trees and, and watering some things. And, and a couple of minutes turned to 10 minutes and that turned to 20 minutes and it turned to half an hour and it turned to 45 minutes because I was watering all of my my plants. And it was such a beautiful evening. It was very cool and it felt so good to just be walking around outside in the cool of the evening. I was feeling really, really good. I came back in the house and I was surprised by my wife's perplexed reaction. For 45 minutes, she had been wondering what went wrong. She was wondering, did I say something? Is he upset at me? Why did he just get up and leave? He didn't even say where he's going. I was happy. Things were going great. And I came in and had no idea. I learned a lesson. You know, when you function in a marriage, you're no longer one person. When you're by yourself, you can just get up and walk around and you don't need to tell anyone what you're doing, right? But suddenly when you're married, sometimes you've got to communicate to the other person. You've actually got to tell them what's going on in your head. And you know, all it would have taken is just a few simple words. I remembered something I need to take care of outside. The other person can't read our minds. Our wives need openness. They need us to communicate. Dr. Meredith wrote about that in the marriage booklet. He says, with this kind of understanding and respect, every truly Christian husband should completely share his thoughts, his plans, and his life with the lovely human being he's chosen to be his life partner. Why my wife is my best friend should not merely be a cliché. It should be a reality. A mate who is a real friend helps us build our self-esteem, encourages us through the hard times, and keeps us from being lonely. Couples who can discuss honestly whatever's important to them, including their own relationship, are happier and much more likely to have a lasting marriage. Even though there is a perceived risk of self-disclosure, getting the problems out in the open is much better than allowing festering hurts and misunderstandings to grow. So openness. Gentlemen, we need to be open. They can't read our minds. We need to tell them stuff. Peacemaking. Peacemaking. Christ said, blessed are the peacemakers. 
Gentlemen, you know, our view of peacemaking may be when we're in a conflict, when we get fed up, we just slam the door. We shut it down. We say, I've had enough. I don't want to talk about it. And there, there might be times when we need to do that. But, you know, it's, it's totally different just shutting her down or saying, you know, I need to go think about this. I need to go pray about this. Can we talk about it a little bit later? I, I don't really want to talk about it right now. Totally different than just shutting things down. What about loyalty? Loyalty in stressful times, especially our wives, may want reassurance that we still love her. Do we take it as an assault on our manhood and on our commitment? After all, we told her we loved her 20 years ago. She should know. It's on record. We have a license to prove it. A certificate. But you know, if she's feeling shaky about our loyalty and our love, that means she's feeling unloved. And more than ever, it's not time to ridicule her or her need for reassurance or mock her need for reassurance or just wave it off as something that's not important. It's a very vulnerable moment for her. We can't shy away from it. Resist the temptation, gentlemen, to get defensive about your commitment and just reassure her. Now, we can take a step back and look at these and say, wow, women are so needy. Women are so high-maintenance. Women are so sensitive. And we can even see her needs as being sort of childish. And we can be patronizing about it, gentlemen. But we must not fall into that trap God made her that way. She's not a lesser creature. She's made in the image of God. She stands before Christ on equal footing with us. And God made her to have her unique needs. And they don't make her inferior or worthy of ridicule. You know, we read earlier in 1 Peter 3.7, she's the weaker vessel, but not to be patronized. You know, it's like comparing a, a glass crystal bowl to a copper bowl. The copper bowl is more durable if you drop it from a ladder 10 feet up. The glass crystal bowl will shatter, won't it? But it's also more valuable. We give it more honor. Giving honor to our wife means we take her needs seriously. And we do our best to help her feel loved. Is love easy? No. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For lack of time, I won't go there, but you can read the whole chapter. It talks about how love suffers long, love is kind, love does not envy, love hopes all things, love endures all things, love never fails. Love is hard to actually do. And yet, that's the command that we men have been given. We must not run. 
We must not run from the challenge of really loving our wives. There's a secret to this. When we really love our wives, it helps motivate them to respect us. If we're filling their love tank, it won't automatically cause them to respect us, but it will make it easier for them to. Instead of the negative cycle, we'll have a positive cycle. Let's talk about respect. Is respect really a crucial element in a marriage relationship? Is women showing husbands respect the equivalent of men showing wives love? Again, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we read in verse verse 33 again. Nevertheless, again, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, we can carelessly read over that and say, well, he meant let the wife love her husband. We meant husbands love your wives, wives love your husbands, but that's not what it says. It says respect. Let the wives respect their husbands. Our society has gone so far out of whack, it even sounds sexist and chauvinistic to read that, doesn't it? That wives should respect husbands. It it sounds odd to read that in our society. In fact, some years ago I... Uh, wrote an article on on marriage and made this very point in the Tomorrow's World. And I got a a note from a very irate woman uh, because in it I said that Paul taught that a wife should respect her husband even when he's not acting very loving. And she helped me because she not only told me what I had said wrong, but she sent back the magazine and, and circled it and with, you know, uh, highlighted it in exclamation points and a few choice words as well. That's the way our society thinks. But brethren, that's what the scripture says, isn't it? Now let's think this through. Another thing that we see about society is that society says that men's egos are essentially childish. That women, if anything, have to be gentle with the very fragile egos of men. And if she does respect him, she treats him like a king, but everybody knows who the real boss is. Am I right? Isn't that the way our society works? Kind of patronizing. Ladies, think about it. If you want men to put your real needs ahead of their own, if you want to be loved, if you want to be cherished, if you want to be cared for, don't belittle or ridicule his needs. Don't put his down. Wouldn't it stand to reason that if it's a real genuine need for a man to be admired and to be esteemed, that that's what makes him feel whole. That's what makes him feed, that's what feeds his soul, so to speak. 
That's what makes him feel like a man. That he wouldn't want to be ridiculed either. And yet that's exactly what society does. It ridicules men for expecting to be respected in their role. A man doesn't want to be humiliated in front of his children or or ridiculed to his face or in front of his friends or behind the back or spoken about with contempt. Just like a woman doesn't want her needs to be put down. Our society is so upside down. And you know, when we talk about marriage and we think about marriage, brethren, we are doing something very revolutionary. We are actually trying to apply what the Scripture says as more and more people throw this in the trash can. We are actually trying to do what God intended and uphold marriage and live it and set an example and prepare for teaching it in the future. But we're going to look more and more strange as this age comes to a close. But what an honor it is. What a privilege it is for us to, to, be up, to, to uphold something, an institution that is so important that it's going to be a building block of tomorrow's world. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Ephesians, you're probably still there. We were there a moment ago. Don't have to do too much turning today. Ephesians 5 verse 22. What does it say? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You know, we we believe in the church. We believe the husband is to be the head of the home. Not a tyrant. Not a dictator. He's not better. He's not superior. He's just been given that role by God. But think about it. You know, ladies, you can submit to the jerk but not really respect him, right? If you think of him as a jerk. You can submit to the the decisions of the big oaf, but run him down behind his back. But is that really respecting him? You can roll your eyes. you You can play the martyr. Submission can happen without respect. But that's not really fulfilling God's command, is it? And it doesn't fill the man's need. It doesn't fill his emotional tank. Let's take it one step further. You know, it's interesting. We were reading about, for the men before, the command to love their wives. And we made the conclusion that it's unconditional. It is without condition from the behavior of the wife. It's a high calling. It's strong words for men. To love you, ladies, whether or not at that moment you are really fun to love. But let's turn it around. Is respect unconditional? Is Paul saying that, wives, it is your responsibility to respect 
not just to submit to, but to respect your husbands without condition, that is, regardless of whether at that moment he's being lovable or loving or not? It's a good question to ask. Not to say that God wants our wives to be a doormat or a spineless wimp or a cowering heap under the husband's thumb. Not at all. And obviously there are some men in this world who abuse and degrade women. God does not condone that. Actually, that's horrible. They should not do that. And a wife should never have to put up with a pattern of immoral behavior. And ladies, if that happens, you need to get help. If your husband is abusing you, if there's a pattern of immoral behavior, if he's threatening you, you need to speak to a minister. You need help. God never condones that. But those are extreme cases. The vast majority of men are well-intentioned or well-meaning, but sometimes unloving. And Paul is saying, respect is unconditional too. Let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Other translations read it a little differently. It says in the English Standard Version, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The same word, fear or respect, comes from the same root word that Paul used in Ephesians 5. And he's saying that, that, that Peter is saying that even unbelievers, even husbands who are unbelievers, who clearly are not living in submission to God, that a believing wife should be, must be respectful to the unbelieving husband. What does that say for a believing husband? You know, when when we were working on the pastoral manual some years ago and doing the section on on marriage counseling, I remember a conversation I had with Mr. Lambert Greer. And he would talk about how he would introduce uh, marriage counseling when when a, a couple were having trouble in their marriage. And he would ask him, he would ask them, are you keeping God's commands? And they'd, they'd say, yes, you know, we're keeping the Sabbath, we're keeping the holy days, we're keep, you know, we don't eat unclean meats, we're doing all these things. And then he would say, how about the commands in Ephesians 5? Are you keeping the command to love your wife? Well, she said this, she did that. Wait a minute. It's a command. Are you keeping that command or not? Well, you don't understand. She said this. She said that. He said, we don't stop keeping the Sabbath just because 
someone says something or does something, it's still a command. Same thing to a wife. Are you respecting your husband? Well, you didn't see what he did. You didn't see what he said to me. Is the command there or not? It's a command. If love is unconditional, and we say it is, then respect is unconditional as well. So what does respect in marriage look like? What are some ways that wives can fulfill the command to respect their husbands? And, you know, let me say uh, before going there, uh, certainly we as husbands should earn respect by being respectable. But, you know, Paul talks about respecting the office. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Let's go there briefly before we go to this other point. Romans chapter 13. What if you do have a husband who it's very difficult to respect? What if because of his behavior you're having a hard time respecting him? What do you do as a wife? Notice what Paul said in Romans 13 and verse 1. He said, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. He says, verse 5, Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. In other words, we submit to authorities, not just so we don't get punished, but for our own conscience, for our own development, for what's going on inside. And what governing authority was he talking about? He was talking about the Roman emperor. He was talking about Nero. He was telling the Roman brethren to to be respectful to the office of the Roman authorities. Now, brethren, if, 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 if Paul says to be respectful to even the emperor, to the office, and he was a pretty nasty guy, should we not be respectful to the office of a husband? What does respect in marriage look like? What are some, some ways that wives can fulfill the command to respect their husbands? <clears throat> How, to fill their tank, to help them to feel like they are admired like they are esteemed, like they are, 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 are worthy. Well, one is to note their achievements, ladies, to note their achievements. So your husband, if you are married, has a need to go out and conquer, to achieve something. And a wife shows respect by appreciating the fact that he's out there fighting the battles every day. He's out there doing his best to provide for the family. He's working hard. Maybe he has limitations. Maybe in some cases he's out of a job for a time or has health problems. But to the degree he's doing, he's doing the best he can. And he's sacrificing. He needs to be given appreciation for that. It means a lot. Ladies, you have no idea how much your husband wants the encouragement that you appreciate what he's doing by working every day, 
getting up every day, fighting the traffic every day, bringing home something to provide for the family every day. It's hugely belittling if his efforts are minimized and cast aside. Responsibility. Your husband has been given a huge and heavy responsibility. Realize, think about, he is personally responsible for your family to Jesus Christ. He's personally responsible to give up his life for his wife if necessary. That's what Ephesians says. And to make sacrifices. And he's doing it willingly. You know, a wise wife will appreciate the heavy responsibility he has and thank him for shouldering that and not fight him for control of the family. She'll remember his role. She'll remember his authority. She won't fall for the temptation to just treat him like one of the kids, which is what happens these days all too often. You know, some wives even refer to their husband as one of the boys or one of the kids. Ladies, that's not healthy for him. That's not healthy for you. Now, what if he doesn't pick up his socks or his pants sometimes well remind him explain that you feel unloved because he doesn't appreciate your work but do it in a respectful tone with a respectful expression remember he is unconditionally to love you and you are unconditionally to respect him even when he doesn't pick up his socks see I told you this would be hard Another way for wives to show respect to husbands is insight. Appreciate his insight. You know, we talk a lot to men about uh, not just jumping in and, and fixing the wife's problems when she's needing help. She just wants him to listen, and that's, that's right, being willing to listen, that's important. But on the other hand, God has also given men an ability, generally, to, to analyze uh, situations. He's given women intuition, and that's important. But a wise woman will know when to give deference to her husband's judgment, knowing that intuition sometimes can be wrong. We find that example in Adam and Eve. Eve's intuition was wrong. She was deceived. She was capable of being deceived. We need to work together. And wise wives will appreciate the analytical ability, you know, the Mr. Spock part of her husband, when it comes to making decisions. So what are some concluding things as we wrap this up between love and respect? What are some practical things that we can do as husbands, as wives, as we are striving to love our wives? As husbands, we are striving to respect our husbands. Number one, involve God. Involve God. The author of the book, Love and Respect, says this. It's a letter from a counselor who used the material that he wrote in the book. He says, just yesterday I talked to two new female clients 
who were wanting to save their marriages that were barely alive. I asked them if they loved their husbands. Without hesitation, they said yes. I then asked if they respected their husbands. I got nothing but hesitation. One of them admitted that she was quite the reader, but she had never heard anything like this before. In other words, she loved her husband, but she didn't respect him. She asked me how how she was supposed to respect her husband unconditionally. I told her in the same way that he was supposed to love her unconditionally. It's only with God's help. He says she smiled. She realized it's difficult, but God will help. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Brethren, we, we face one of the biggest challenges of life to put down our selfish nature in marriage. And that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about learning to sacrifice the self and learning to take care of the needs of the other. And it can sometimes seem impossible. It can sometimes seem too hard. But notice what Christ said, Luke chapter 18, verse 24. When Jesus saw how that he had become very sorrowful, he's, he, he's talking about a different context here. He's talking about how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom. And then those who heard it said, verse 26, who can then be saved? In verse 27, Christ said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Brethren, we need God's help. Why? Because it takes submitting the self to God's will and God's spirit. One of the greatest challenges of life and the greatest tests of our unselfishness when we're striving to show more love to our wife and more respect to our husband. You know, especially if we feel burned in the past that she will never respect me or he will never love me because of whatever has happened in the past. Well, we need to ask God to grant us love and respect for our mate. We need to ask God to help us to be what they need us to be. Number two, number two, we can ask our mate for help. We can ask our mate for help. Notice in Proverbs chapter 20, Proverbs chapter 20, and verse 5. It says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You know, if we're trying to figure out where we stand and where we are and how we're doing. Probably a person we need to ask is sitting right next to us. If we really want to grow, we need to ask our mate, am I making you feel loved? Do I make you feel respected? What things do I do that make you feel respected? What things do I do that tear you down 
and make you feel disrespected? Do I show you love? Do you feel loved in our relationship? You know, it might sound like a simple thing, but have we ever asked our mate what things we're doing that make them feel loved or not loved, respected or not respected? Number three. Number three. Once we find out information, we need to treat it like priceless china. We need to treat this information like priceless china. You know, if our mate opens up to us and tells us what hurts them and tells us what they need and tells us what what we do that makes them feel good and what we do that makes them not feel good, then they have just told us areas where they're very insecure. And we must never use that information against them. We must never use them as the butt of jokes in front of others or even privately. We must never use it as a tool to get back at them when we're angry. We must never neglect it or ignore it as a way to get back at them. Wives, if your husband has opened up to you, be very, very careful with that information. Now you know how to hurt him even more deeply. But if we have a good heart, then we will use it in the right way. We just must be careful not to ridicule in front of others. Number four. Number four. Make a list of the things that we love or respect about our mate. Make a list of the things that we love or respect about our mate. At first, it might be, in some cases, hard to think of some. But you know, the more we do it, the more we will think of, and the more the list will grow. And the more our admiration for our mate will grow. And the more our love and appreciation for our mate will grow. The more we think about these things. Number five. Number five, tell your mate one thing a day, something that you love or respect about them. The point is not just to get our minds on it because they can't read our minds, can they? We've got to tell them. What are we doing to show our wives we love them, gentlemen? If you were before a judge... Is there enough evidence to convince a jury that you really love your wife by your actions and by your words? Or is it just all up here? Of course I love you, but I never express it. I never show it. I never say anything. I never do anything that would actually convince a jury. Ladies, you may say you respect him, but what are you doing? To show it or prove it, could you convince a judge by the evidence of your life? doesn't do any good to keep it to yourself. We must tell them. Uh, turn over to John chapter 15. In this light, John chapter 15. In verse 13, 
Jesus said to his disciples just before his arrest and crucifixion, he said, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus communicated what was on his mind to his disciples. We need to communicate to each other. Number six, number six, remember to cut some slack. Remember to cut some slack. Most likely your mate loves you. Most likely they have a good heart. Most likely they are essentially a good person. They're well-meaning, but nothing is going to go perfectly, is it? Even if they're trying hard, they'll do well sometimes, they'll slip up other times, they'll ask for forgiveness, they'll forget. But all is not lost. Be patient. Be patient. God is working with them. You know, so much about working things out in marriage is simply remembering that our mate really is trying hard. Our mate really is well-meaning. They really don't have evil intentions. They really didn't get up that morning just thinking of ways to ridicule and humiliate us. They really do mean well. And when we think about it that way, we, we, we give each other more slack. We're more loving. We're more forgiving when we remember that everyone is trying to do their best. They just get tired or frustrated or scared or worried, just like us. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Let's go over there. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 70 times seven. You know, brethren, this seems written for marriage, doesn't it? Because who else are we so close to that we actually could need to forgive them 490 times other than our our spouse? We need to do it. Need to cut them some slack. Again, on the marriage booklet, Dr. Meredith wrote, to, to sulk, to brood, to conjure up evil thoughts about your mate or attribute, attribute to your mate wrong motives is totally senseless. It only breeds more trouble, more discontent, and possibly even divorce. Certainly, as we have said, you need to talk about your hurts and misunderstandings. Try to listen to your mate's point of view, not just sit there and think about what you're going to say next. Do not just think about how you're going to get back at them or get even. All of us must come to realize that most people do not mean to hurt us. And yet in the heat of the moment, that's exactly what we're thinking. 
They do not mean to do evil. They are simply human. They blurt out hurtful words or take harmful actions without thinking through what they're really doing. And so often it hurts. But the one who gave his life for us commands, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If then we're to forgive every person in this way, he writes, how much more should we forgive our precious mate who's now become our own flesh and bone? Are we forgiving in our homes? <clears throat> Number seven, last. Remember you answer to God for your part in the relationship. At the end of the day, loving or respecting our mate is really less about them and it's more about our relationship with God. It's more about our obligation to God. It's a command from God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. Starting verse 17. <clears throat> Paul writes, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Doesn't that include our mate? As much as depends on us. We can't control what they do. We can't control every reaction they have. But we're answerable to how we treat them. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. <clears throat> he says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Colossians 3, verse 24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of an inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. We serve Christ. That's what gives us the ability to take on such a challenge, and that is the challenge of living with another human being and actually subjugating our own selfish nature in the relationship. Brethren, we have such a, an awesome opportunity to, if God has brought marriage into our life, to, to have a part in this institution, to actually learn the lessons that He has given us to learn, to grow, to understand, to have a part in another person growing as well. God wants us to succeed. And whatever level, whatever state our marriage is in, whether it's good, whether it's great, whether it's struggling, whether it's on life support, there are real principles in the Scripture that can help us to accomplish and make it better and do what God wants us to do. And there are principles that we can use if we are not married, if we are 
a young person, but thinking about marriage in the future and laying the groundwork now and thinking about what are the principles that I will base my life on, these things can be inculcated now. We have such an awesome opportunity to have a part in this institution that God has created. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Let's close there. Especially as this world gets crazier and crazier. And even the definition of marriage changes and morphs and erodes and dissolves. What an opportunity that we have a chance to stand for marriage and build our marriage and analyze our marriage. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. As we think about examining ourselves, as we as a church have been examining ourselves, let's, let's make sure we're thinking about what's going on at home. If we're not yet married, let's prepare now to how we will approach marriage in the future. If we are married, let's make sure that we're, we're growing, we're understanding, we're seeking to understand our mate better in this one wonderful institution that God has given us to be a part of. What a privilege that we, as a part of the people of God who believe in marriage and understand the underlying purpose of it, can reflect Christ and his church and his relationship with his church through it. So let's make sure our marriage is empowered by God's Spirit and is built on the foundation of love and respect.